A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. And welcome to the reading room. Yes, it's getting hot in here, even if it is winter in South Africa at the moment, because heating up the studios and taking some time out of their very, very busy writing schedules, I've had some fantastic authors. And the one that really put me on to South African crime writers right from the very first book, and I found it, was Mike Nickel. And I managed to get him to say, yes, he's going to chat to me in studio today. Well, from Cape Town, where I assume you live these days all the time. Mike, thank you so much for joining us in the reading room. No, thank you. And and I didn't realize that I'd been responsible for leading you astray. I I love the fact that you've led me astray. Um, I'm very happy to have been led astray. And I've been very happy to see that there's so much in the way of writing by local authors that I could enjoy. Because, you know, in the past, we'd sit there and we'd say, okay, fine, there's a lot of great Afrikaans writing. But there wasn't really anything well i mean there was but like for those of us who love reading the big crime writers overseas there wasn't for a long time a south africanism um in that kind of genre so discovering you and i actually found it in in the local library which i was very happy about and it just sent me on this path of of pretty much reading all of your fiction stuff okay let's go back to i always like to go back to the beginning Mm. did you always want to be a writer Oh, yes, yes. I, I think, did I always want to be one? I think one just moves into this, actually. Um, I started writing, I think, at about the age of nine. Um, and it was poetry. And poetry is a, a way that many people get into it because it's it's short, the, the, the thing doesn't take too long to do. And that was how it started. And I just realized that this was a part of my life that I couldn't ignore. I've often called it a curse because one can't, I can't live without it. And the writers that I've spoken to, it's much the same for them. Once you, once it's hooked you, you, it doesn't let go and you just have to keep on going back and back and back to it. And so the poetry started and, you know, there's, it, it was it was good. It was really good training. It was the best possible training I could get because it teaches you the relation of one word to another, the sound between words, the sound in a line, and so that was the that was the really ex- valuable part of it. Then I needed to become a journalist in order to expand into prose and with nonfiction prose. Mm-hmm. Well, even with journalism, I found that there was still a rhythm in what I had to do and how I had to write it. I'd always wanted to write a novel, so the the final thing was to move into fiction, but I thought that I had to be at least 30 before I could write a novel because you needed some living time. (laughs) There are many writers who write very good novels first. (laughs) Yeah, experience life first, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I thought that. 
Um, and, and once I got into the prose, uh, then the poetry stopped, surprisingly enough. Um, and I just found that I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't even, I still don't know how to even start to write a poem any longer. But I have mm. realized that in prose, there is, a, there is a rhythm, and it's important to keep that rhythm going because that rhythm tells readers so much about what's going on. And this is something that I did read, which I, I quite enjoyed, was that before you started writing crime fiction, okay, you wrote a sentence that was eight pages long. Now, <laughs> do you have any idea what it's like for people who may be doing an audio book for you or having to try and read a book aloud to somebody else? A sentence that is that long is so unwieldy. Why on earth so long? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably because I had probably just read James Joyce's Ulysses and he has a sentence in the, at the end of the book, the last section of the book, which I think the sentence goes on for, I don't know, it's upwards of 50 pages, a full stop in it. Um, I had to do this. I was writing magic realism at the time, and magic realism has a kind of internal flow. So although the sentence may have a capital letter at the beginning and eight pages later a full stop, there are pauses. There are natural pauses in mm. between. And that was important for me was to learn where those natural pauses came. And then when I got to writing crime fiction, um, clearly longer sentences were going to be out of the question because one wants to build up tension and suspense. So I needed to go back to mm -hmm. the short sentences. And then when I looked at how one wrote very long sentences, I realized that within that long sentence are lots of units, little units. And if you make those little units into coherent parts, capital letter, full stop, then uh, you start to build up tension. Like a, the, the staccato of a machine gun, it needs to Indeed. get you going like that. Indeed, that very much. As opposed yeah. to the flow of consciousness that you see in like the Beat Generation writers as well, which is just long sentences where everything just comes right. out. You need to actually, that's not, it's not conducive to really telling a story. It gets a bit more. No, it isn't. It is indeed. And I mean, crime <laughs> fiction, I, I really realized was about telling stories and having to get down to the nitty gritty of those stories very, very quickly. I and mean, that's the thing about crime fiction is that you have to tell the story quite quickly, very succinctly, very crisply, so that the reader is with you all the way. You can't spend three pages on the sunset. It has to all be done in three words. <laughs> yeah. But um, you, you started out as a journalist. What was your beat? What were you writing about? <laughs> I had a number of beats. It started off as education, strangely enough. I'm not quite sure why. Then I got a job with James Clark on the Star, and he was running a, an environmental campaign at the time called CARE. And under him, I learned a huge amount about journalism. He was just really the best editor that I could wish to have had at that, that age in my life. And through him, I then got appointed editor of a magazine called African Wildlife Magazine, which was the wildlife magazine of the Wildlife Society. So that stayed kind of within the ambit. Um, and that was, that was my journalistic career, really, <laughs> up to my okay. 30s, when um, I absconded to Greece because I needed to see the wine dark sea and I needed to start writing novels. And I thought that Greece was the place where you did that.
Well, I thought so too, but all I did was actually read everybody else's novels while lying on the beach. But so obviously you weren't on the crime beat. And in fact, you were somebody who had never read any crime fiction. So how come this big swing? Why did you decide to go from like not even enjoying crime fiction to be one of the foremost writers of it in South Africa? It's an interesting question. And I think it's got to do with coming up against oneself. I had read crime fiction up until about the age of 16, and then I decided that that I was just far better than crime fiction, and I would only read literary fiction, and I would leave that genre to to others. And I had this hoity-toity idea for many, many years until... I got to the fourth novel, the literary novels, a novel called Ibis Tapestry, and it's effectively a detective story. And I rather Mm. liked that. Um, And it ends off the very last chapter, uh, the very last paragraph is the beginning of a crime novel. Not a very good crime novel and not a very good paragraph either, I have to admit. But it gave (laughs) me a clue as to where the future might lie. Mm-hmm. My partner, Jill, also said to me, you know, why don't you look at crime fiction? There's crime in all your novels up to this point. Why don't you actually look at crime fiction? So I did. I started with Edgar Allan Poe and Wilkie Collins, and I just read systematically through everything. And it took, I think it took about 10 years from that point until I eventually managed to publish a crime novel. It was a long, hard journey. Um, because I had to learn what I was supposed to be doing. And mm. that took time. And it took experimentation. I mean, there were there were hundreds of pages, thousands of pages probably that, that went between the one movement and the other, because I just couldn't get it right to start with. I really just couldn't get it right. But what were you reading at that time before you got into saying, right, okay, I need to read all of the, the greats of, of crime fiction? What, what I mean, kind you know, of books I, were you reading? What, what really was, blew your skirt up? Well, uh, uh, strangely enough, just before the crime fiction, I got into William Faulkner. Now, Faulkner is not an easy read by any manner of means, but he became addictive. And mm-hmm. I just had to read every single thing he'd written, which I did. I managed to scour the second-hand bookshops of Cape Town for old copies of, of his books and so on. So he was there, but I'd, I'd come to him via Gabriel Garcia Marquez, uh, the magic realist. When I discovered his books, um, I thought, wow, this is what I've been waiting for all my life. And Garcia Marquez pays a lot of tribute to Faulkner. In fact, he said that Faulkner was what got him, fashioned his style of writing. I was also reading Gunter Grass, Salman Rushdie, uh, all those big names of that particular way of writing fiction. And it was very exciting. It was extremely exciting. But then suddenly came along this other stuff, this genre fiction, and um, all the stuff that I had spurned before, And I thought, no, wow, there's great opportunity here. There are huge challenges. Uh, This is something you need to try. I kind of think of what that whole genre, this whole genre that we're talking about as my junk fiction, my junk reading, because they're not books that I I tend to keep. They are books that I will read and then pass on or send to the library or put into a little library box that a friend of mine has so people can come and borrow from it. But when you look at your, I see you've got a lot of books in the background there. When you look at your library of books, I mean, do you have a systematic way of 
putting your books first of all? And if so, do you find that they are books that you read at a specific time in your life? And that's how you've, you've, um, kind of put your library together. I know I've done that. Okay. And no, I don't write books except for gardening books. So I can't, <laughs> I can't say that I, I am an author of any kind of repute, but I do notice that with other people's houses as well, you go in and it, the collection is almost a, a track record of where their head was at while they were going through life. I wish I could be that systematic. It is behind me is complete and utter chaos. Um, <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, I, I, I know where the books are, or, or kind of vaguely within, within shelves. I know where the books are. But otherwise, it's not arranged according to any system at all, excepting that one section is poetry, the rest is fiction, and then there's a non-fiction section, <laughs> and that's about it. On my left, which you can't see, is all the crime fiction. Um, and mm. I still... I, I take your point, and I think a crime novel that is read as junk fiction and then is given away to somebody else to read, I think that means the book has succeeded. I yeah. don't think these books are books that are going to last forever and ever. They're, they're not a bleak house or Vanity Fair or anything like that. But I do think, and the, and the more I've looked at it recently, the more I think these books are value, valuable as commentary on their time and their place. And they have a way of getting to the social dynamics of a society, its politics, the way it's structured, far more succinctly than I think literary fiction does. Mm. This is the thing that I've, I've enjoyed about your books and having led me into other people's books is to be able to write, uh, read about South African, the things that are happening in South Africa at the time. So a lot of your books, I mean, they, they do take on what is happening in the microcosms and macrocosms of South Africa, um, especially we're not going to talk about your nonfiction stuff right now because – I have this thing about following characters. So it's always wonderful when an author will write a character and then bring out another book with that character. And and some of yours are just absolutely brilliant. I mean, Mace Bishop, uh, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I sit there and like, when's another Mace book coming out? Okay. And Fish Pescado as well. I mean, he's just like so cool in so many weird ways that you want to keep on following their life story. How often do their life stories follow people that you might have known or your own life story itself does that ever happen always <laughs> you know i mean one gets one gets one's material from the, the people around one and from oneself i mean it's it i had to surf a lot hours and hours i spent out on the water in order to be able to write fish biscotto <laughs> so you know one has to put in the time doing these really dreadful things like learning to surf and surfing waves and all the rest of it i mean it's hard work for a writer but the serial character was very interesting to me because i'd never done that before uh, the literary mm. novels are just self-standing books and then when it's ended it's ended but suddenly there was this idea about writing a character who would go from book to book and I thought, wow, this is going to be quite interesting because how do you make this character fresh each time a new book comes out? Uh, what is left from the previous book that you can explore and all the rest of it? So it becomes quite a challenge to present a, a serial character. 
it is also you feel it's like putting on that proverbial old jersey you immediately the character steps into the story you know what the character is about and how the character is going to react so some of that is is there and it's and that's very comforting but mm. um and certain characters can be used to do certain things so mace bishop I could do certain things with Mace Bishop, but I realized there were limitations to the kind of book I could write where Mace Bishop featured. Hence, along comes Fish Biscardo as a private investigator and then his sidekick, Vicky Connors, as a lawyer stroke spy eventually. And they allowed me to go to other areas where I hadn't been before within the crime genre. And then along comes Hammerman and I began to think, okay, I need other explorations, I need other areas to go, and these two characters aren't able to do that for me. Mm. And because I just, there's something about creating characters. I often think about it, I didn't play with dolls, but I think about it as that metaphor, that were I able to play with dolls, this is what one, one is creating. These re- these worlds for dolls. You dress them up. You make them move around in it, and um, I, I just find that it's just so interesting how one's mind deals with that and comes up with new ideas about other persons. There's my mind, but I often feel that this might be the case <laughs> uh, because it's it you just don't know where the stuff comes from. I mean, it just comes, mm. and that's what's so incredibly interesting. I suppose, in a way, it's like you, you know, as you said, slipping on that jersey is a person who plays a character in a series of films or on television that they they slip into that character, especially if they're method actors, and they become that person. So is it is it that same kind of thing that you would suddenly become that person to be able to write them? And do you ever feel like your split personality? <laughs> Maybe there's so many splits that I've stopped um, worrying about them. Uh, the interesting thing here is that <laughs> um, once I can hear them, once they start speaking, mm-hmm. then they become characters for me. So... Uh, it's it's not so much an idea of a shape um, of this character. There's this shadowy shape that walks into the room and has it got long hair or light brown hair or what are the color of the eye? None of that. It's only when the, suddenly there is this idea what this character is. And at that point, yeah. I think, and I think this probably happens for all writers, you slip into that character and you start seeing that, the world through those through that character's eyes and the way that character talks the rhythm of that character becomes the characteristics yeah i can imagine that it would be a, a, a quite a nice thing to change into becoming somebody else altered states that's wonderful all of it that kind is of absolutely thing but wonderful. Now, you've been an inspiration not just for people who who like reading your books but also for other authors and you've helped other authors along the way as well by helping them with editing Yes. So I want to know from you, who do you reckon are probably some of the best? Well, let's just keep it to the crime fiction milieu. Okay. Who are some of the best authors who are coming out of South Africa at this time or in the past that you would suggest people should really be reading? 
You know, that's that's a difficult that's a difficult one. Um, as far as my editing and the and the mentoring is gone, and the teaching those that's different. We may, may get to that. The crime fiction, I've had very very few writers that that I have um, helped or in 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 crime altogether. And what has happened with South African crime? has been quite interesting for me because there was a it, it suddenly appeared as you said earlier and there were these books and these writers and then suddenly it's died again and I'm I'm talking about mm. crime fiction in English in South Africa uh, the Afrikaans um, crime fiction is just going from strength to strength and there are more and more writers doing it but in in English in South Africa it's just suddenly gone I mean at the mm. ten years ago, there was Margie Orford, there was Roger Smith, there was um, Sarah Lotz, who's now gone on to write fantastic other books. There mm. was Michelle Rowe. Uh, there were just there was a heap of us, and now suddenly they're all gone, and I don't really understand why. But there's been this diminishing in the number of of South African crime writers. So difficult to say who to read at the moment. Some new writers that are coming up, there is Kurt Ellis, who's now written two books. I think he's based in Joburg these days. And I've, there's some manuscripts that, that I'm sitting with, and, and might, one has to wait and see whether the publishers will pick them up um, afterwards. But um, mm. it's, it's, it's less exciting than it was <laughs> 10 years ago when there was suddenly this boom and now it's gone again. Mm. Um, so um, there's John Mayer, there's Andrew Brown, and, and it's, in, as far as English is concerned, we just seem to be the, the center of it at the moment. But, I mean, that's not to say that it won't change quickly in the next couple of years. Well, hopefully it does, because I think that what we've got going here is like, I mean, some incredible writing. And I know that a lot of people, they sit there and they think, oh, they'll read Joe Nesbo or they'll get into the latest James Patterson. But it, and maybe it's an, a, a bigger form of escapism than reading South African fiction, um, because it just brings the truth too close to there, home. There is that. And I, maybe that's where the problem it, lies. Yeah, and, I, and you could have hit the nail on the head then. And I mean, it is a point that I keep on hearing again and again. Uh, why should I read you? Because I could just read the Daily Maverick or, or, or a newspaper or something mm. like that. And I, I keep on trying to say that, you know, a crime novel is a fairy story. It, things work out in the end. It's always got a good ending. And mm. uh, it's, it's, some of them are funny. You know, and then they, they're exciting, they're thrilling. And they're actually, they're not about the reality, they're about the characters in the story. It just happens to be South Africa, and when you look at, at what's going on in the story, you can see your own country. But, but really, it's about the story and it's about the characters. And please, because of that, won't you read the book? <laughs> so one, <laughs> one has this battle. There is another thing, and I, I think, it's still true of the English market in this country is that if a writer gets picked up overseas and becomes a name overseas, then that's like giving a stamp of approval. And then the writer mm. will start to be read back home. And, uh, uh, you know, this is true again and again and again, I find. And I think, why? What's the problem? As you've just said, we have fantastic writers here. Since when I started writing, I think I knew 
all the writers that there were in the country now. There are so many, mm. one can't possibly know them all. And there, there are hundreds of books that are coming out every year, fantastic books, literature, very exciting literature, but it just is not being supported enough, I don't think, by the local market. Yeah, no, it's it's sad. I mean, I've got a couple of friends who have relocated, one to New York and one to England. And the one in England has been picked up, Rosie Fiore, um, and she does chiclet, mm. which is great. I mean, you know, as a girl, we read chiclet because it's fun. But here in South Africa, very few people know about her. And I'm sitting and thinking, well, she's like a, a full-on South African kind of national treasure as far as I'm concerned, yeah. not just because she's my friend. Yeah. But it is it is so true. You've got to have that stamp, whether you're an actor yes. or whether you're a, a writer or a musician. If you haven't had overseas success, then, of course, you're not really worth that much here, unless you come from the Afrikaans milieu, yes. which is a completely different thing altogether. Absolutely. But now you also, I mean, your, your books, your, your nonfiction books, I mean, how many, how many have you written? <laughs> Eleven. It, it might be, but look, the major ones for me were The Drum Book, A Good Looking Corpse, two memoirs. One was, one was immediately after the election in 1994 when Gollans asked me to write a mm. memoir and it came out as The Waiting Country. And then after I'd spent a year in Berlin, very kindly, um, thanks to them, um, I, I got, came back to Cape Town and found that Berlin had sort of shown me how to look at Cape Town. So I wrote another memoir called um, Sea Mountain Fire City. And then mm-hmm. there was a book on Annie Diwani, uh, which was an interesting nonfiction experiment in that there are very few words written by me. What I did was I went and looked at all the newspaper cuttings as that story had unfolded and took choice pieces out of that in order to piece together a narrative, more or less to find out if that mm. could, if that was possible, if it was possible to take things that had been already been in stories in newspapers and magazines and cut them into uh, a narrative. That was a fascinating exercise for me. So that was very interesting. But that was before the final court case came out, uh, the book came sort of halfway through that story. So it didn't really contain mm-hmm. the end of that story. And then and then I've been lucky enough to do projects on, on, on Nelson Mandela. I mean, that's fascinating. In a couple of ways, I was asked to do a, a biography, first of all, and it was, it was only 30,000 words. So I had to be, you know, and his life is huge, as you, we, we know, the, the books are doorstoppers. Yes. Um, so I had to really condense that one. And then another publisher came and said to me, well, could you look at him now in terms of law, education, um, social behaviors? And, and so that was another way to look at him too. So those, those, I was just lucky to do those. And then there was a book on uh, the star photographer, Ken Westerbrook. Who, Ken Westerbrook. Yeah, uh, Did you work with him at the star? No, he came after I'd left already. Um, okay. But I mean, fun- Which is why I never saw you, because I was always at the star. Ah, fantastic <laughs> pictures. I mean, just absolutely brilliant pictures. Yeah. And an extraordinary life. I mean, quite extraordinary life. 
I had the hugest crush on him, and I'm still working with his brother. In fact, I just saw his brother's just popped in here where I am this morning. Um, Also a very good photographer, but on the plant side of things. So, you know, it it was wonderful looking at that book of Ken and and just remembering back to those days as well, because things have changed so much in South Africa since the 80s as well. And I'm sure that your your narratives will have to change as well to try and keep people who weren't alive in the 80s interested in reading about South Africa in, in whichever way it is, whether it be fiction or non-fiction mm. um, yeah so you know sitting there and, and thinking so what what do you read <laughs> okay we're all reading we're reading you what do you read well I, I need to keep ahead of what's going on in crime fiction so um, I, I read as much as I can there but I also have a I have a love of non-fiction the most thrilling book I have read this year um, is a book by also a science journalist, not not also, but by a science journalist called Henry Gee, G-E-E, called A Very mm-hmm. Short History of Life on Earth. Um, and it's short in that it's only about 300 pages, I think. But he goes back to the beginning of our planet and he explains what had happened and when it happened and when we came on board and what is going to happen to us and what is eventually projected to happen to the planets in something like 250 million years time. But it was... It was if it's still if, around, of Well, course. that's when it will all explode or implode or whatever it's yeah. going to do, fall into the sun. But I think the thing that really impressed me the most, and I know some people find it very hard to understand this, but one of the... After, after hum, human beings will become extinct as well. Eventually, Mm. in 250 million years' time, all we will be left, all that will be left of us will be a thin two-millimeter layer on the surface of the Earth of dust. Mm. And in that dust will be us. And it will be impossible to tell, actually, from that dust what we were and what happened to us. And I thought, that is so encouraging. I don't know. It, it freaks me out quite a lot. Uh, the whole idea of infinity for me is something I cannot even sit and think about because it, it, I find it too big. I like to have little microcosm things happening, not big microcosms. <laughs> it's a, it's just, I, I might have a, a, a delve into the book, see how far I get with it, and then pop it next to Bull Bryce's <laughs> A Short History of Nearly Everything, yes. which might be the way to go. But it's, it's very interesting to know. I mean, you know, some authors, you know, that they, where do you get your inspirations from? I mean, obviously, you know, as you said, you can just read the newspapers here and get an inspiration from stories as so many people have they've become interested in somebody who might have been a serial killer and then written stories around about that i want to know surfing are you still surfing no no unfortunately or did you give it up once you'd written the character <laughs> no no uh, it it I had to give it up before that. Unfortunately, with the white skin in this country, if you spend too long in the sun, um, the white skin starts rebelling against you. And so because of that, I, I decided it would be better to stay inside. Um, so I gave up the surfing. Become um, pale and interesting, be, eh? Yeah, well, I don't know about interesting, <laughs> but certainly pale. <laughs> um, you know, the, the thing about all the all the books, and possibly with many authors, is you may start off with an idea that originated in something that you read, uh, something that happened, and it may have happened to you. But eventually that idea diminishes as you start writing. Because to me what starts happening, okay, 
let's say I've got a, I've got a story. I want to write a story about the fact that guns get stolen from the police and used in robberies. That's the story mm. we read about in the papers all day long. What's so interesting in it? Not much. But when you put characters into that situation and they steal the, the guns and they go and commit these crimes, then it becomes interesting because these, pe these characters have things that are good and bad about them. They've got people who love and hate them. They've got families. They've got children. They've got all this stuff. And the story that is actually about the stealing of guns becomes the secondary issue because it's what happens to these characters that becomes important. And mm. that is created by those characters, I think. They create the story for themselves. And all you do is sit at the keyboard and type, take dictation. It's simple. Writing's really simple. You just listen and then dictate. And, you know, they'll tell you what to do. I was watching one of the episodes of one of the Poirots, I think it was, where he's found an author and the author saying, no, it couldn't have been mine because my, my character won't let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> he won't let me write that story. So this character was so much in his head that he couldn't write anything. The character just said, no, I'm not going to do that, which I thought was like quite a nice shift in, in the little world in somebody's head where you suddenly are the character. It, that's that's. I mean, yeah. that's exactly what happens, and, that, and the characters really do propel the story. I and mean, if you've got good characters, it, there's no no hesitation that you will last the pace of that novel. Mm. Now, going back to to being a, a mentor and you know helping other young struggling writers, I know that you do um, have a whole bunch of writing courses online, and um, you you do get them to understand about being an author. Do you enjoy that process as much and seeing how other people's minds work too? It's fantastic. It is absolutely the best thing that could ever have happened in my life. I mean, I have been really, really fortunate. There was the journalism, which showed me and taught me huge amounts. And then, you know, now in the last 10, 15 years has come the teaching. And as you go along, you learn a lot of stuff, and one can actually help shortcut people from having to go through all these things. And it's been, I don't know, I just mm. find it absolutely wonderful, particularly on the master class, which is a class that lasts for nine months each year. It's now in its 10th year. It's been going for 10 years. And there's a bunch of writers there. The, the numbers vary between 25 and 30, and they start in February, and it goes through to October. And in that time, some of them start writing books, some of them finish books, depending on where they are. I've had writers, that bunch of 30, about 15 of them keep on coming back and back and back. One of them, my top writer, she's also just a wonderful person, is Kanita Loxton. And she has written four novels mm. on the class. She's busy with the fifth one now. As far as she's concerned, the class is part of her writing. That's how she writes. I don't quite understand that mm. because my first draft, nobody sees it. Nobody knows what it's about. It's just mine. But she's quite okay to let me read the stuff as she produces it. And with that class, there are sort of seven deadlines over the year, and that's how they build up their manuscripts. And when one of those writers lands a contract, honestly, it is just, I mean, it's 
great when I land a contract. I feel very happy that somebody's prepared to publish the book. But when they get contracts, it's really a joyous occasion. I'm just thrilled with that. So much better. It's so nice to have somebody that's actually, you know, going out there and not keeping it all to themselves. I know that it's a very human condition a lot of the time to say, well, I'm I'm not going to tell you how to do it because this is how I do it. Um, And and being expansive and helping other people. And I mean, look, I... I love reading crime fiction. As I said, it's my, my guilty pleasure. I'm, and chick, along with Chicklet, of course. And I sit there sometimes and, and a friend of mine runs these, these once a, once a year, she runs a, a thing where she has all of the writers or authors who say, right, we're going to have a murder day. And the whole yeah. group of people come around and she says, I'm looking for one more author. And I went, okay, I'm an author. I might have written a garden book, but I'm an author and I want to come and play. I won the whole thing. I came up with the most dastardly plans. And I'm sure it's from reading your kind of books. And it was along with Sarah Key and myself. I think we have the most devious minds going. I don't know if you know Sarah. She's also a writer here in South Africa. We came up with the most ingenious plans, including all kinds of like um, Mission Impossible scenarios. But we were girls, so nobody expected it from the girls. <laughs> no, no, no. You see, I think that's wrong. And I mean, I, I think the girls are writing at the forefront of crime fiction internationally at the moment. Mm. And, and why not? I mean, it's, it, you know, the role of the female, it's just so much more interesting. It's, and they're, they're allowed to do things which they could never have done before. And so to me, it's that alone is one of the most exciting things about crime fiction. Uh, well, I'm never going to stop reading it, and I can't wait to get your – when is your, your next fiction book coming out? The one has just come out, um, so mm-hmm. I've got to finish another novel first. I don't think this, this one will be a bit longer. Probably uh, should the publishers want it. We're not talking next year. We're talking about the year after that. But, I mean, Hammer Man okay. is, is still out there in the shops right now. Yes. A walking shadow. Hmm. Sounds very, very interesting. Uh, going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Sorry, I'm just using your book's no, names no, no. here quite happily. This is coming right, up Mike, the rabbit hole. <laughs> coming out, back out into the light. Yes. Yeah, here we go. Hmm. Well, thank you so very much. I mean, it's, it's, you know, just please keep on producing so that we can keep on reading and, um, fangirling again, because I can. Um, I have the utmost respect and pride for our South African writers and especially you, sir. So thank you very, very much. No, thank you very much. It's really nice talking to you. Thank you. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.